in general because I fiddle a lot. Uh, you ever, yeah. uh, you ever uh, been challenged to a fiddling contest by the devil? Uh-huh. Um, I don't. F- I feel like if I had been, I wouldn't be allowed to talk about it. Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> Once I saw somebody Just say, "Wink, wait, <laughs> I, I winked with the wrong wink." <laughs> I saw somebody once say, ask something, and the other person was like, I'd tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. And the first person was like, okay, but it better be good. (laughs) (laughs) All right. (laughs) That's funny. Good. I've always kept that in my pocket just for the day that it comes in handy. Are we... Have we already done the intro song? Uh, No, we haven't. Should we? I mean, I don't know. No, hey, we're already recording. All right. Welcome to Channel 33, where it's not who you know, it's what you know. Uh, but unfortunately, we don't know a whole lot. That's why we're here to ask questions and talk to people and get our feet under us and get it all figured out. And hopefully, by the end of the hour, we will have solved the world's problems. Tessa, are you up to the challenge? I mean, not really, but, you know, I'm here. Mm-hmm. I'm here for it. Neither are we, you, but you, we are too, so. I was... I'm sorry, I, I was sold a false bill of goods. I thought that we were going to have all the answers to the Ukraine conflict, uh, poverty in America. I, At least we know what, what fascism we is. Uh, and Yes, now we know what fascism is I mean, because I, I of can't the Robin Williams classic, it. Toys. Man, it's like we really are working on the world's problems. Like we, we put effort into that. Like We got that far. We know what fascism yeah. is now. That's a step. Yeah. I still couldn't define socialism very well, but I know fascism. Uh, I still don't. Morgan just found um, a note card pinned to my wall to her right, and it's it's like a little index card. And there's a couple of them, and this one says apocalypse training. And she just asked, does that say apocalypse training? It's yeah, it's next to Fabian's actual to do list. It's not done. So here's what that is. My kids were watching, um, I think Gravity Falls. And there's like a, a part where it's like incredible the, show. Incredible. Yeah, I had no idea. Like the, it's been around for a while. I never picked yeah. up on how awesome it was. Well, they said at one point, Dad, can we do apocalypse training? I was like, You asked for it. And so I've been actively thinking about the things we're gonna incorporate, like um like how to start a fire, uh, how to farm, mm. like how to camp, how to set up a tent, like how to make make shelter if you don't have a tent. All of those fun little cool things. That you can all put the stuff it, that yeah you can put under the umbrella yeah. of apocalypse training can without you know having to say oh we're gonna do camping stuff no it's apocalypse training that's way more fun gotta eat vegetables yeah. I like that yeah teach all them the, bugs uh, or bugs <laughs> all the stuff that I thought they were gonna teach me in Boy Scouts mm-hmm. and I kept hanging around for uh, but then it turned out to just be like here's a compass and I don't know. Uh, see what happens when pixie sticks get tossed in a fire <laughs> shit like that uh apparently pix if you if you throw pixie sticks into a fire it goes oh what so, about eating noted. pop rocks and drinking soda yeah yeah we did that we did a lot of stuff uh a lot of stuff i'm not allowed to talk about but mm. is the case pending is that what it is <laughs> don't, don't want to talk about no that case is resolved um Oh, anyway, oh. <laughs> uh, let's move on. Uh, no, I actually do have some. We're not here to talk about Boy Scout stories, but I have some weird. 
memories from boy scouts that we can share sometime i was briefly a boy uh, scout too so we'll trade stories yeah. sometime um right. oh, they, okay. they do not teach you any of that stuff that's just what they te- say they're going to teach you though tessa um what do you do who are you i am tessa um i am a teacher at a residential behavioral therapy school Residential as the students live there? They live there. Wow. Um, and it is for students with that have se- experienced severe trauma and have sexual maladaption. Wow. Interesting. It's quite a place. I'm sure you've uh, so, met some in, some unique people with unique situations. Yes, both, very much so. What was, both the, in the, staff what was the last the, uh, part? Mal what? Mal- so maladaptive sexual behaviors. So that what is that? I guess the um, most um, blatant and obvious things that comes to someone's mind is um, sexual molestation and rape, mm-hmm. um, which occasionally we get a kid, kids that have done that, but often it's like a really bad porn addiction, and you know they were caught fooling around with another kid, and the other kid's parents got upset. But what? they're like thirteen, so it's a little something's we- weird. Is so the kid? Oh, so, so these the, kids the you kids teach have are... done it. So or the they... kids have committed a crime. Okay, but usually it's all they have also been the victims of crime. Okay, and that's how they learn this stuff mm-hmm. when they're young. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and they've all had even the ones that haven't had sexual abuse have had another kind of abuse or trauma of some sort. So, how do the when you say res, like they live there, they're not allowed to leave. Like this is yeah. kind of prison, uh, not prison, of. but it's kind it's yeah a confinement. Well, it is. They are like the doors of the facility are locked. There, there's a large outside area, but it's gate. You know, it's fenced in. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're not allowed to leave unless you know that like can go on. Um, we have outings. We've had less late the last couple of years because of COVID, but we have outings. They can go on visits and stuff like that and passes where they get to go home for the weekend and stuff like that. So they, they're not locked in forever, but they are, they can't just walk out the front door anytime they want to either. Um, which in some ways does sound like prison, but also in what situation do you let a, do you normally let an 11 year old just walk out a front door whenever they want right. to? You know what I'm saying? Like that's, Kind of a normal yeah, situation like also when you do it that way. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. But like their parents can't or somebody can't just come get them and take them. They usually can, actually. Um, and that oh, happens, okay. a, a, not I wouldn't say often, but it's not unusual. We get a couple a year where the parents are like, yeah, we're done here. And they come get them. Um, a good amount, maybe half of them are court ordered. Um, so mm-hmm. they can't really just be picked up by their parents because there would be legal repercussions to that. So can you um, is, can eleven year olds not go to juvenile detention or like? Yeah, I, I guess how does how do they how do they end up there? Like, yeah. what's the split? Because I know sometimes they go to juvie, sometimes they go to to you. So, like, how do they? And this is not the I teach, so this isn't the area I know the most about. Um, but my understanding is sometimes there are charges pressed against them. They go to court. The judge says, you're going to this residential treatment facility. 
sometimes the judge says you can go to jail or you can go to this residential treatment facility. Mm. And then sometimes what happens is these kids, um, the victim is a sibling or a cousin or someone that's close to the family, which happens a lot because that's who's near. Um, and the parents love all the kids involved and want them all to do well, but realize that there's a major problem. And so they say, we, we're going to have, we have to send you somewhere because you obviously have a problem that you need help for. So sometimes it's just guardians and parents bring them in. Wow. Well, shit. Yeah. Okay. Which is, and you, yeah, sounds terrible, but if, if you know, if it's I didn't know this your existed. son hurting your daughter, what do you, what do you do? You know? What's the right. what's the socioeconomic spread on this? Is it largely lower income? Is it surprisingly some higher income people, or do those kids get sent somewhere else? Or is that it's it's mostly lower income, um, and when we do get higher income, usually what it is is that a kid from a very abusive background got adopted by a higher income family, and then things happened. But usually a kid that was born and raised in higher income doesn't end up with us. And I don't really know if that's because they end up someplace else or if it's because it doesn't happen as often or it's, if it's because it doesn't get reported. That was re- my, about that. Yeah, my question trailed off because I realized I started to go down a rabbit hole. That was like, or yeah. with the higher income people, does that just get covered up by the families because they have a, you know, a, a image to keep up and they're better at it and they have the resources to cover things up, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Anyway. When we... We the yeah beggars, we know a you know. um a famous local case where uh, someone that's now an adult abused some sisters the Duggers. and that got pushed under the rug the Duggers I mean, it, sorry yeah are we it. talking about the Duggers I think oh, we're yeah. talking about the Duggers uh, because <laughs> when that first happened it was actually suggested that he goes to yeah the Morgan said it first well I mean it's, everybody a, knows about it I mean now he's back yeah, in jail yeah. so. Um, but yeah, it was actually suggested that he go to my facility to get treatment. Um, but they didn't want to do that because they're and the Duggars. Now look what yeah. happened. Right. Yeah. And now look what happened. Exactly. Wow. So, that is some crazy um, sh- shit. Yeah. So you said like sexual, mal- uh, sexual maladaption. Is that every kid in your in, in that residential facility or are there other kinds of, of issues that they're dealing with? It's pretty much all of them. Um, we have a few that are just victims rather than perpetrators, but it's almost all of them are perpetrators. Um, and that sounds, that probably sounds like it's a whole lot, but we get kids from all over the country. So when you think of it that way, it's, it's not that odd. We only have 100 or 120 kids at a time. Mm-hmm. Are there lots of these schools? Or No. I think we're the only one in the country that does trauma and maladaptive sexual behavior wow in arkansas that's kind of surprising <laughs> right <in> arkansas because <laughs> it's under the radar bro yeah oh that's true um send, send this kid so, to arkansas nobody will ever know he'll come back better no, we'll send him to arkansas because that's where that that's been happening for generations it's practically expected over <laughs> surely there surely they're good at that yeah, all about that. <laughs> yeah. i know someone that happened uh, to what's that nothing so here's my question um before we go further into the details of and in, in, ins and outs of things, how did you get there? Like, where's the beginning for you? Um, that's a good question, and no one's ever asked me that before. Actually, that's why I do um, this. Good uh, job, Fabian. I'm pretty sure I. I okay, whatever. We're just gonna forget <laughs> all of 
All of our. <laughs> we're not, just gonna forget. It's not all a competition, Corey. It's not a competition, Corey. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Whatever. I'm just gonna. I'm ignoring him now. Um, <laughs> when I was, let's see, a, a t- 22 or 23, so I went to, I went and got my bachelor's to be a teacher, and I wanted to teach, um, and I liked teaching, you know, like, troubled kids, I say with air quotes, because um, I worked well, with some during my, my bachelor's. Huh? Okay, so that's what I was about to say, is how would you know that, but you discovered that in getting your bachelor's degree. Yeah, yeah, I did, um... I, I did one of my student teachings at uh, Little Rock Central, um, which wow. has some, yeah, some reputation. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but I, you know, I enjoyed it. And the thing is with these kids, um, you know, you, you, you've been in a lot of work and you see a lot, um, but you also see a lot of improvement because there's a lot of improvement to be made. Um, so I find it real, very rewarding in that sense. Um, but to get back to the question, um, one of my friends worked there and uh, mentioned it, um, and she's someone that's now working um, in another state but in psych as a counselor. Um, so I came in as an aide, actually, and I did that um, like because we have classroom and psychiatric aides that help are with the kids all day long. And I did that for about six months, um, and then I worked as an aide at a public school for about six months. But then I came back and actually worked – we are right next to a mental health hospital and i worked there which is much shorter term but there are kids that have to stay there for a couple weeks um and so they have a school program because we don't want them to have a couple weeks of absences on top of the you know psychiatric issues they're dealing with um so i worked there for about five years left and did my masters came back worked there again for another year um and then that so they're right next to each other. They're the same company. Um, and the hospital was switching around so they'd have more room for more adult patients and less adolescent patients. Um, but they were one of the teachers from the place that I work now was leaving. And so my boss, who's the, the principal of both, called and said, hey, they're doing this, but they're moving over here. And she said, would you want to work there because it's more long term and you can actually focus on the education aspects more? And I said, yes, I do. So, right. yeah. What did, what did you do as an aide? Like, what is an aide in that line of work? So, basically, they are with the kids. They do 12-hour shifts. Um, so, they're with them from 7 to 7, either morning to night or night to morning. Um, and they just help them get through the day. And they're there to process things with them um, and to break up fights, to just help them get from their bedrooms to the cafeteria, that kind of thing. Um, you know, the, oh, you the know real, Kung Fu. Yeah, the, yeah, just the real basic things. Um, and so they're there all day, but they, the kids get to know them very well and they get to trust them very well. So when they're having a bad day emotionally, they usually go to them first because they know them best. And also um, those aides know the kids best. So they can tell when a kid's getting escalated, when a kid's really upset, when something needs to be done, they're usually the first people that can tell. Um, And I turn to them a lot because I'm just the English teacher. um, So I see them, the kids for about an hour a day. Um, And these people, you know, especially by afternoon, these guys, the aides have been with them since seven. And I'm um, seeing these kids at 
230. Um, so it's nice to know, I can look at these aides and ask them and know if they're, you know, if, if the way the kids are behaving is something that's been happening all day, is it something that just happened? Because they know what's been going on because they've been there all day. Yeah, they, they have a continuity of care mm -hmm. as long as the aide is with them. And that's what you were doing was exactly uh, you were being the 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 friend, the the confidant. Yeah. And now you're the the educator, which mm -hmm. kind of does a little bit of that, I imagine, yeah. but not to the extent that the the aides do. Yeah. Now, I, I noticed you you said that this is a like they're the same company. So this is a private mm -hmm. uh, this is a private business. This isn't like social work or anything. Yeah, this isn't no. a, yeah, uh, it's a private how does that effect <laughs> um in lots of ways poorly and it's for me it's very interesting so we're a, it's a private company they own psychiatric facilities all across the country and in other countries as well um under different names they're in the uk i think they're in australia i think they're in a couple other places as well probably canada i would assume um but anyway so they own, they own quite a bit, but our kids are enrolled in a public school. Okay. Um, yeah, <laughs> to make it confusing. So are you I'm, a public school teacher working I'm for not, a company? I'm paid, for the pro I'm paid via the private company. But okay. I, the kids are enrolled in the private school. But, and this is where it's really strange, after school I do tutoring, and that is funded via a Title I public grant through the public school. So my tutoring after school, I'm paid hourly via the public school. So technically I have two yeah. jobs, even though one of them is I stay after an hour and I help kids learn how to read like I've been doing all day long. But okay. that is technically my second job. And if for some reason I, you know, if I have a dentist appointment, I don't go that day, I don't get paid for that day. Right. Um, yeah. So it's a, it's a private company. How, how do they get paid? Like, I guess I'm getting into the, the economics of it, but how do, how do they get funding to pay you? Like, because you said that these are low income students, are the parents paying for uh, their kids to be there or? It, it can happen. Mostly it's Medicaid, Medicare, okay. Medicaid. So it, it, it's still somewhat publicly funded, uh, mm -hmm. but it's a private company. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. And they, you know, sometimes we get them on other insurance, but it's generally insurance paying for it. Okay. Yeah. So how does that affect uh, a budget? Because it's a business. They're trying to make as much profit as possible. It's in, Rather than being a public service, uh, you mentioned aides and teachers and like all of this stuff that you have to do. The aides are working 12 hours a day. Uh, you're in a very high-stress environment with these kids. Um, how, how does working for the, like, are they cutting corners? I guess. And this is why we're not going to mention the name of this place. Exactly. Uh, uh, are they cutting corners? Like, are they trying to cut costs? And um, is that, how is that affecting the treatment of the kids? I would say that they are not right now, but they have yeah. definitely in the past and gotten into some trouble for it before. Um, we have some pretty good CEOs right now. Um, and I won't say I agree necessarily with everything that they're doing, but I do think that they have the kids' best interest in heart and they tend to put the kids' needs first. Um, okay. So I, I might disagree with exactly how to do that, but we are we do seem to have the same goal. So okay. um, right now they seem to not be cutting those sorts of corners. Um, but you said they'd been in trouble before. What 
kind of under different leadership, probably. Yes, under different, under different CEOs. leadership. I mean, years ago, and our CEOs have only been there for about a year. Um, but yeah, we've had trouble with um, some scandals along the lines of kids not being supervised and stuff like that. Is the what happens when they're not super line. well? I, guess. I mean, all kinds Silly of questions. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> Does each uh, maybe kid, we tend to get in fights and stuff like that. Does each um, kid they tend to ha- sometimes leave? Does each kid have their own aid, or is it, are they like in grouped groups? It's about a one to six ratio. So there's about one aid for every six kids. Sometimes more, but there's at yeah. least one aid for every six kids. I should say, because often it's about more one to four. But yeah, and. And that's not counting me. I don't count in that ratio. So if I'm in a classroom, often I have, at the most, I have 15 kids. I have at least two aides, usually three, and me. So it's, yeah, there's quite a bit of us. Just in case, just in case something pops off, you know. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of times it's needed just for, like, I'm in the middle of teaching, and if this kid is freaking out if this kid needs help and this other kid needs help and then another kid is still upset about something that happened in the last class well there's so many of us that we can one can still be watching everybody else i can be helping one kid another eight could be helping another kid another one can be talking to the kid about emotions and stuff so it works do out. Did, did you receive any additional training on because that seems that seems like something that a typical public school teacher is not really uh, they don't teach that in, no, they don't. Their, in their classes, I imagine. So you did, know, you, I, did you get additional training or? I did. And I will say that they're starting to get more training on that, um, which is great. And I mean, hopefully that will help the kids getting to points where they need severe treatment like we give. Um, but yes, I got a lot. Um, everybody that works at our facility gets a full week of training and then several weeks of, um, following someone else around. What do they call that? Shadowing. Shadowing. Yeah. Shadowing. Um, so yeah, you get that. Um, and part of the training is on how to deescalate kids before they get physically upset. Like, physical and start throwing things around or punching someone or something. Um, so it's how to talk down someone that's becoming upset. What's a little bit of insight on that? Cause I'm sure that would apply in lots of situations, really like human psychology is human psychology. Some people are more on edge. So I'm sure this method is maybe a little bit different than you would use on, you know, just your average person in line at Wendy's. But, uh, could you tell me a little bit about, um, what you would use in that situation with someone like that that's a bit more on edge, more prone to outburst, and you have to talk them down? You know, it's not really that much different than what you would do in general. It's just that you don't think about what you're doing. Because, like, if, if someone's upset, you say, like, hey, I see you're upset. What is bothering you? And you might not use that exact verbiage, but if, if your friend's upset, you're going to say, hey, what's up? What's going on? Um, and then you, you try to get to the root of the problem. Um, if something is bothering them too much to talk about, you usually try to get them away from the problem. You try to, you know, separate the anxiety from the person. You use what you know about the person to kind of steer that. Um, and you try to talk to them before they start throwing things around the room. It's some pretty, it's a pretty, um, intuitive stuff 
but it's stuff yeah. that I think the average person doesn't think about. So maybe a key thing there is like if you don't address it with the person and let them get it out, then they simmer until they boil and then they exactly. blow. Wow. Yeah. It's kind of I like bet it's... a lot of these kids are like some of the outbursts come from feeling not heard. Oh, yes. Not, not prioritized by anybody, especially if, if they've come from a neglectful home or an abusive home. Yeah. Uh, just listening probably mm -hmm. goes a long way. What yeah, was that more? Really I was going to say it was like intuitive almost too. like when I worked at the dog daycare. Not that I'm comparing that, but watching out for watching how they're acting before and then breaking or separating them before they get into a fight. And I broke up fights every single day. So that's what I was going My brother was a bouncer and he, uh, he said after a while, like you're watching this room full of drunk people, even, you know, 70 people in this, you know, sports bar, just, you know, partying down. And then like a spotlight, a certain posture, a certain move, somebody mm -hmm. jerks fast, somebody, just something lights mm -hmm. up on a person. You're like, there's the problem. And you go yeah. and you handle it. I was like, oh my God, I bet that is like a spider sense by the, mm -hmm. once it's finely tuned. Mm -hmm. right. Yeah, exactly. Can, can you talk about any, any instances where your spidey sense might've gone off that you, you saw something and you deescalated it or maybe weren't able to deescalate it? Well, one that came to mind, um, we had a kid, this was actually back up at the hospital. So it was a psychiatric health hospital. So they were there because they were having like a, a severe psychiatric issue where they needed to be supervised for. And like I said, most of them were there for like a week, two weeks, but some would be there for a month or two. Um, and we had one that he was a little guy. He was like 10 or 11 and still small. Um, and he would get very angry and when he got angry everything was being thrown into the air everybody that was within punching distance was getting punched um because you just little angry boy as you would imagine those right. of you that are parents <laughs> um and but i realized after a while because he would start to get upset throughout the day and eventually right after lunch it would always boil over um and it wasn't every day but that's when it that's when it hit when it hit was after lunch and that hour after lunch. Um, and I realized after a couple of after a while, a couple of days that I was the only person that could tell when it was building up before lunch, before we got to that point. Cause I would be like, I would be talking to my aides and be like, Hey, he needs to do this. He needs to do this. Um, but I would have to be very specific and be like, Hey, he is getting upset. This is happening because nobody else could see it in him. Nobody else could see that he was boiling because he was a very like happy, hyper, you know, like big smile boy that he would, he was like that until it hit. So right. I, 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 I couldn't, it's one of those things that was so intuitive. I couldn't tell you what it was in him that I could see that was changing, but I could see like, he just get a little bit more, a little bit annoyed at this kid, a little bit annoyed at this kid, a little bit annoyed at this kid. And some days I could see a couple hours before he's starting to get there. He's going to hit because they're not because other kids aren't going to stop being kids. They're not going to stop annoying him. He needs a break. And when it, <laughs> right. And when it does hit, what do you do? Like what? What's the <laughs> what's the like you can't you can't just wait in and start wailing on 11 year olds. Like, you, you, it's frowned upon. Yeah, you can't do that. <laughs> I, 
Okay, good. So, yeah, no, right. so don't do that. It's not a good idea. <laughs> um, so um, Damn, I've been doing something wrong. So y- you can do. It's called a psychiatric hold, where you can you can grab. That's not the right wording, but you can. We have ways of holding a child that does not hurt them and will not allow them to hurt somebody else. But in the WWE, it's referred to as a choke slam. There you uh, go. That's I thought you were gonna. Go, I thought you were gonna go exactly. with camel clutch. It's <laughs> <laughs> a that's a rough one. Yeah. Um, but we do not use it unless they are imminent harm to themselves or imminent harm to someone else. Um, it, property destruction does not matter. They have to be about to hurt someone. So if we had a kid that was upset, hold on. Hold on. Property. De- Property destruction is not the main issue. I've been misled by Fox News and the right wing. <laughs> it's very. Not you're you're not you're worried about people, not windows. Yeah, what? Strangely, strangely so. Oh. Strangely so. Okay. Sorry, I interrupted you for a dumb joke. No, I enjoyed it. <laughs> okay, good. Okay. <laughs> as long as I enjoyed uh, it. So, it's not literally a choke slam. What what is the psychiatric hold? Like, so. It's a little bit hard to describe, but basically, you go up. Show us on the doll. Show us on the doll how you. (laughs) You go up behind a kid, and you basically hold their arm back, not all the way, not in like a I'm going to twist your arm and break it, but just by the elbow, sort of hold them back so that they're pinned, but in a comfortable Mm -hmm. way. I mean, you know, it's a pin, but in a comfortable way. Restrained, not. Yes, they can still move their legs. Okay. In this situation, they have full leg control, so they're held by two people, so that hopefully the, the, those people's legs can get out of the way of their legs. Um, and that's how they hold them. And if they need to, they can walk them forward by, by slowly walking with them or, until or they can take them. Because often, yeah, I mean, off, it's obviously it's not the best thing, obviously. Um, it's far from the worst though, because my first thought is like, there's, is. there's no one pinning them to the ground. There's nobody no. like, there's no choke of any kind involved. Of no. course, it's a child, yeah. but like, there are worse ways that you, that that worse options for sure. And that seems yeah. like yes, and they're keeping the kid on his feet, so mm-hmm. there's not the whole thing of like putting making them terrified. Like people are holding me down. That's not going right. to help. That's going to damage yeah, we- their their frame of mind. Yeah, we do not take them to the ground at all. If they drop to the ground, you let them go. Because they're on the ground and they're not going to do nearly as much. Yeah. Um, so it sounds like you guys get more training than the typical police officer. We <laughs> honestly do. We 100% do. We I know how to de-escalate a person that is acting, in, I mean, insane, that is physically violent, that is throwing things across the room. Like, I, I mean, kids will pick up desks that are, you know, 20 pounds each and throw them across the room and I can de-escalate a child and I weigh 140 pounds and I'm five, five and I can do and that. No problem. I do it every day. And you and don't so, feel the need to carry a gun to protect yourself. What? And then people. So when I hear people make fun of the idea of having um, social workers who are also trained in the same sorts of things that I am go out to crime scenes. No, the social workers are the ones that know how to handle the situation. They're the ones that know how to de-escalate someone. They're the ones right. that know how to humanely take someone down if it gets to that point. Yeah, because yeah. I've uh, working for Walgreens, uh, being a store manager for Walgreens, I 
uh, at one particular store, we lived near an assisted, or we lived, I felt like I lived there. Um, <laughs> I worked near an assisted living complex. Like it was a kind of a neighborhood of houses where, uh, like your, your stoner burnout buddies from high school, they would go on to be employed by this company that would just pay them to hang out and smoke black and milds out in front of these houses and help these people with pretty severe uh, mental disorders who I guess were, they determined like, okay, they can live on their own with some help. Yeah. Um, and their help were these stoner burnouts getting paid ten, $10 an hour. Yeah. Um, it's so funny because I know a company in the area and some people uh -huh. that work for them. And it, it's like, you know them, man. You That's hilarious. It's like I the met them a lot. I do know <laughs> Wow. I know quite a few people that have. I remember you, Rodrigo. And now do that. Uh, so yeah. Who, who let who let you off the island of misfit toys? The uh, but working in that store, you know, we the the residents would quite often come into the store, and sometimes they were not having a good day. Like they they should probably have been supervised. Um, and there were times when uh, it's like, I don't want to call the cops because I know how that goes. Mm -hmm. I, I don't want to call the cops because the cops are going to come in. They're going to they're, they're gonna beat the shit out of this person who's obviously like, they can't be in the store right now. They, like, they're causing a disruption. But at the same time, I don't want to call somebody with a gun. Right. Because that's how people get shot. Right. Uh, but I don't know who the fuck to call. <laughs> Other than the cops, so I guess I guess I'm the guy. I had one. Uh, I had a shift lead who actually uh, got. There was this one lady who came in quite often, three hundred pounds, and that's only important because the shift lead actually uh, like tried to like we de-escalated as much as we could with no training. Uh, we de-escalated, and she left the store in a huff, and he followed her because she was going to walk right on the into MLK like mm -hmm. on the MLK you know mm -hmm. that street between the Walgreens and the the Walmart right there and that's a busy freaking street so he at one point has to physically grab her to keep her from walking out in front of a car and she falls back and is like laying on this poor guy getting paid 12 bucks an hour <laughs> because he's like I don't want I don't want to watch somebody die and I don't, die right in front of me yeah uh so hilarious yeah. the only time i have heard of someone at either one of the facilities that i've worked at a, a student being grabbed it was that situation it was a little kid running out into traffic and an adult just grabbed him <laughs> without, I think yeah, I, without even thinking about it just grabbed him and it's like yeah okay we didn't see that <laughs> the to be fair i think that the the grabbing would be the lesser of the oh yeah the of course and that's like yeah like said, we didn't see that that's okay that was but, a, but I only, main hold <laughs> i i only bring that up just because it's like yeah here's a real world example of when yeah i wish that there was a social like a Mm -hmm. uh, pr a public so group of social workers I could call to come deal with this because yeah. it's like I don't want to bring armed men into this situation. Right. Yeah. So it's funny. I think whenever yeah. people use that example of like, like you're saying, um, 
there's a situation where they could be de-escalated de and they say send a social worker and someone says yeah but what if this person has a gun and they're going to kill somebody so that's why we have to have cops that are ready to do that that's usually not the case though so many situations yeah. could be de-escalated so many situations could be addressed in that way and yeah mm -hmm. there are times whenever it's to such a violent and dangerous degree you do need an armed person there okay mm -hmm. that's real that happens but it's not 100 percent of the time so there is an imbalance in how we're addressing these problems yeah and i think a lot of the people that make fun of the social worker idea think that social workers are not used to being in danger and i don't think good, they realize that the daily life is someone throwing 30 30 pound desks at them yeah yeah. They know that they're in danger. They're in danger every day. <laughs> they, they're very or, well aware of that. Or every time somebody reports like, hey, I have a concern about this family next door. Mm -hmm. I feel like their 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 kids are in danger. They send a social worker out. The social worker goes into their home yeah. uh, without a gun, with a clipboard. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know what I'm about to walk into. No idea uh, what I'm into. But it's a carbon fiber clipboard just in case. <laughs> I think that's a great the, idea, actually. The the little the little metal clip is detachable and it's sharpened on one side, so you... it's a it's a prison shank underneath. I wanted yeah. to be a social worker. You want to? I you... wanted to, yeah. No, I mean you still could be. For some reason, someone if this... crushed that dream for me. I don't remember what they said, but I don't know. They said don't do it, and I didn't do it. They're I mean, like, it's well, I, mean, I was literally asking talking, for like a positive advice, and they said, "Don't do it." So, I think it was because well, that, they said that I would get um, it's sad, and I, uh, I don't know. Or it is gonna... grueling. I mean, they probably weren't wrong yeah, that it would. Like, but but they were tough. like, "You can't handle that." Oh, that's different. But I mean, I can handle anything. Well, <laughs> yeah, you can handle it. Uh, we need some more social workers, but that does lead me to how long have you been doing this, Tessa? Like, uh, how... eleven years. Eleven years, yeah. and so you've been dealing with these situations, dealing with this high stress environment. Uh, I'm sure not every kid is a success story, and you've seen them not succeed, and over and over again for eleven years. How does that wear on you psychologically? Like, if Morgan wants to be a social worker, what advice would you give her? To how do, how do you fucking deal with this? I mean, I think I say some... is we're all drinking. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, I think some of the most realistic advice is that um, you kind of become a little bit numb to it. You know, like you you hear bad stories so much that it's it's not shocking to you when you hear them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's still sad. I still feel for my kids when they've had bad upbringings, but they don't, I never hear stories that shock me anymore. Um, I did, I did notice when you, you mentioned their sexual, sexual, sexual maladaptive behaviors mm -hmm. and talking about the abuse they've suffered, like uh, molestation and rape. You just dropped it casually. Like yeah. it was just, yeah, this is, I mean, this is how it is. And yeah. I still... I hear the word rape and I'm like, Ooh. yeah, I have this internal cringe yeah. and you were just like, yeah, it's a fact of life. I think yeah. though, if you're going to be effective, you have to, uh, I want to like sand off those edges. 
where mm-hmm. you know where you are in the moment affected where you have to treat it like data because the problem has to be solved or addressed or or helped and you can't have that flinch every time so i can see the uh the utility of becoming quote unquote numb I mean, it's not really a numbness. You're still an empathetic person that can understand and relate to the person's pain. But you don't have to in that moment when you're trying to be effective for them. Right. Good job, baby. Thank you. I like to put stuff in words. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I was kind of, when you said that you were, you'd kind of become numb to it. Is there a danger in that? Like it, you stop caring I... or maybe not stop caring, but. I think there definitely could be for some people. I am a very empathetic, empathic, empathetic, empathic. No, I think you had it right the first time, but the second time was also correct. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm that kind of a person. (laughs) So in that sense, I don't really worry about it because that just means that I get more sleep at night and then I'm better the next morning to, to deal with them and to help them out. Um, so, but I can, I think it can be, I think it could be. When you first started, was it were there sleepless nights when you first started? Yeah. With this, what yeah. was what was that like? I mean, I think it was just constant exhaustion for a while. <laughs> yeah. Because you you get tired being there all day, and you don't you think about it as the work, but part of the work is dealing with the stories that you hear, um, and there are ones that you think about for a long time afterwards. Because um, it's all you know the worst news stories that you hear. I have met kids that that has happened to, or very similar has happened to. Um, so, so yeah. One question I have that's it's been stuck in my head since the beginning of this. Okay, you mentioned young kids with bad porn addictions. When I was a young boy and going through puberty, the internet didn't exist. I graduated high school in 1999. There was the internet, yeah, but it was not like it is now. And I remember the first time I was in a like a computer lab at the college, a course, the first thing I did was like, I wonder if there's boobs. And like I typed it in and like slowly. (laughs) And now it's it's completely different world. And it worries Mm -hmm. me because I have a six year old son. So it's it's in the distance a little bit. But the clock is ticking that I've got to figure out, okay how to protect him from this or how to educate him on this because there's not 100 percent protection. What right. does it look like? What is it? I mean, the, what are the? What, what is, is the situation time? for a kid that this has become such an issue that they have to be sent to a residential facility? And then, are you? Do you have an understanding of the, the how you how they they're treated to scale that down and give them a, a sense of control over themselves? I mean, I'm fascinated by this part of it because I I worry about it. Um. Well, for example, um. It would be, um, obviously, it'd be normal for a 12, 13 older boy to look at porn. Yeah. Um, Not a concern, really. Um, But if they're, you know, racking up $1,000, $1,000 a month on credit card bills that they're stealing from their parents. Wow. That's probably a problem. That's That's what they know about all the free stuff? What? (laughs) 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 It's not. Who pays for it? That's probably not the thing that I should be focusing on, but Right. But yeah, but when it's stuff like that, like obviously there obviously this isn't being handled well. Um we've also had this is prob might be more than you guys were, were ready for today. Oh no. I have when no. I was an aide, so this was quite a while ago, when I was an aide, 
we did have a conversation and a physical list on bathroom doors about proper masturbation. Because here's the thing. <laughs> These are teenage boys are going to masturbate. We're cool with that. There are appropriate times and thoughts to have when you masturbate. When you are masturbating, you should not be thinking about someone hurting you. You should not be thinking about hurting someone else. Wow. You should not be... Sorry, that was my cat. <laughs> um, you should not be in the in the. So that was my cat more. Um, you should not be in the bathroom during school doing that instead of being in class. You know there are rules as to right. an appropriate and healthy way. You, and we also like you should be thinking positive thoughts about yourself instead of negative thoughts about yourself. Yeah, my so you even. You, you should be thinking about a person on... you find attractive of whatever, you know, right. like that's appropriate my, you, you, ways to masturbate. My, my therapist would re often repeat neurons that fire together, wire together. Mm -hmm. And so I can see that that is valuable guidance for a young person with a developing brain discovering mm -hmm. their sexual identity and sexual habits from the ground up. Because like... There's a, you ever heard that Tool song, um, Stink Fist? Okay, the so. first chorus. Like I listened to this song that for years. The title you. is worrying. It is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I listened to this song forever before it actually clicked with me what he's saying because it's beautiful lyrics and the way he sings it is so like he's not uh. screaming. He's like singing it like this. It's all like mystical. Well, he, the the first chorus says finger deep within the borderline. Um, then the next chorus says elbow deep within the borderline. And the last chorus says shoulder deep within the borderline. He's talking about fisting. And like, there's another lyric that says, um, um, constant something, um, constant stimulation numbs me. Um, and then it's, it goes, but basically the point of the song is discovering pleasure, but then seeking more and more and more until it yeah. gets to a, a place that you, it, you never expected to find yourself. You've gone to extremes. It's a really good song with a hilarious title and they're that kind of sardonic band. But um, but that my point with that is that's what comes to mind when you think about it. you got to guide people from like, whoa, you may have seen some insane shit on the porn that you've watched, but that's not real life. Or, or experienced it. Or experienced you don't want it. To, yeah. yeah, you don't want to internalize your trauma and exactly. sexualize it. If if your uh, all of your sexual experience is was non consensual, then that's wow. what you think sex is is non is non consensual violent stuff, and we're trying to change that so they can have healthy normal sex lives at some point in their lives. Man, something about that just clicked with me for for someone who all of their sexual experience has been non consensual. I just hadn't heard that phrase put that way, and that's a lot that that clarifies mm -hmm. a really tough position to be in like if every time and, you ate a it, cheeseburger you got punched you probably have an issue with cheeseburgers like there's a weird connection there so but if your body if you got to a certain point in your life and your body craved cheeseburgers every day you know i mean i don't know what it was like to be a 13 year old boy but i know what it was like to be a 13 year old girl and i'm imagining you didn't have a yeah. lot of control over what you were craving and wanting and to imagine that if every time that had happened, it had been a punch in the face. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So. You got to learn how that that can be done in a way that yeah. does not hurt you, does not hurt someone else. 
I was listening to a and guy. Joyful. I was listening to a guy today that was like a guru, and um, he actually started off talking about soil in in America and how it's you know being eroded, and then he kind of wandered off into like more of the guru type stuff. One thing he was talking about was um, how much we're like I often say we're passengers of our own experience, and he was talking a lot about how so much of what we are is our subconscious. And so I think of it as like the record and the needle. If you have a record, it's got the whole album on it. And you, me, who's talking right now, this Fabian that's thinking of the next thing I'm going to say is the needle, and I'm running across that record. And I might be on like the song that's that's called Wednesday, Wednesday, March 16th. We're on that song right now. But the next track and the track before is my entire life. And that's who I really am. And it's all connected. And so whenever I'm making these choices, I'm really not clear on what I'm doing. I'm like subject to my past. And whenever we have cravings, or we have impulses, we cannot be conscious of the whole record. All you are is the needle, man. You are more a passenger than you think you are. And that's how young boys in uh, Tessa's library end up compulsively looking up Pornhub uh, in the middle of all of their fellow students. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> exactly. And that, that does explain to me uh, how, because, you know, there's the, the popular conception that if you are molested as a child or if you're uh, the victim of sexual abuse as a child, you will then propagate that. Mm -hmm. um, that kind of explains explains a little bit better to me how that would happen because it's been normalized. Like you, you, you were taught, this is what sex is. Mm -hmm. So later on when you're actually old enough to want sex, like then you're going to do the same thing. And you guys are actually trying to put a stop to that. And when you first told me like that you were policing their fantasies, not really policing, but trying to, to offer guidance to their their fantasies, I was like, that's that's kind of strange. But it makes a lot of sense now. <laughs> like, it's still kind of strange, though. <laughs> it, it's still a little strange, but it is yeah. like, look, you're 12. You don't need to be t to be thinking about whips and chains. Right. Um, that's not really, or, or I'm using whips and chains as a joke because I don't really want to talk about the, the reality of what these kids have gone through. Um, but yeah, that's that is super interesting. Yeah. Uh, earlier today, my brother actually asked me. He's like, "Man, how do you parent your kid? What do you, what what ways do you parent your kids differently than the way that we were raised when we were parented?" And it was like I was kind of in the middle of work. I was like, "This is such a good question." And he and I are both at the age we're very reflective, and we're like checking each other's memory banks. Like, what the fuck do you remember? And uh, and it's often enlightening for us. So uh, such a good question. And I was like, I, I was like, man, right off, I'm overwhelmed by how many ways I do the same thing. I just, mm -hmm. As much as I want, like one of my biggest guilt is that I'm not the parent I want to be, or I said I was gonna be. I'm just not. I do so many of these same things that were done to me. And I was like, it's like you know, you, you speak English because you learned English. So how, how do you? It takes effort to to learn another language. And it's mm -hmm. cool yeah. that you parent the way you were yeah. parented yeah. without a lot of effort. Yeah, I do the same the same thing. Like 
I remember being a little kid thinking like, man, when I have kids, I'm never going to, uh, but then you become a parent and you're, you're trying to juggle parenting with, uh, being an adult in society and you just don't have enough, you, you don't have enough spoons. Uh, Oh, I remember a, that. Yeah. <laughs> you, you don't have, you don't have the attention span or you don't have the energy, uh, to put, directly into the way you want to parent so you default back to your native language you know yeah. you scream at the kid for you know making a mess again or um you know you uh yeah i basically i i totally agree yeah. i don't Thank have you. kids but i do remember from when i was little to when i started drinking to i don't know now that like I would always say I'm never gonna be like my mother because my mother was very she's an alcoholic and uh, abusive and um, when I especially when I would drink I remember I would get if I got really drunk or something I would always tell my friends please don't let me back like my mom or it was a fear of mine I did not want to be anything like my mom and I always said I would never treat my kids the, the way my mom did me and my little sister because her mom did the same to her and my great grandma did the same to her and it's like somewhere we have to cut it off and uh break the cycle yeah my yeah. little sister's my little sister's doing that with her too but she is more like my mom than me she's not as well my mom's very empathetic but still was the way she was my sister has no empathy for anybody um she just doesn't but so she's really she's harder on the her two kids but she's not she's not abusive so she is uh she's drawing the line somewhere <laughs> yeah I, I, I smile big when you mentioned your sister being not empathetic to anybody because it's not that she's like heartless she's just no bullshit she's really no bullshit yeah. <laughs> it's a good version of it but i can i mean, I mean we got the cops first time Fabian met my family um we were at my nephew's birthday party at the trampoline park and the cops escorted us out because my family was fighting it with the next family my sister wanted them to stop cussing at because it's a kid's birthday and then all of a sudden someone's, someone's beating somebody oh with a swiffer mop and um <laughs> being escorted out of this trampoline park and i'm like fabian <laughs> now i just got the invite for the p- birthday party and uh, it's at the bowling alley this time. <laughs> that's good. There are way heavier things to swing yeah. there. <laughs> that's my first thought. Yeah, on my way out the door, I was downloading the Tinder app again. I was like, this just isn't going to work out. This is happen every time. But we still had another hour left there. But so, um, but like your you you said your sister is not abusive. So like I I it does feel like there are very each generation there's an incremental change for the better mm-hmm. i feel like i'm i'm slightly less angry than my dad i'm i'm i definitely use uh physical punishment less than my dad did you know yeah. um i mean my mom made me go get um pick out a switch off of a tree like a limb when she, uh, my little sister was bad like to spank my little sister with it was like morgan go get a switch and i have to go pick a switch for my sister and like that my dad's version 
my dad had a uh, a wiffle bat a wiffle bat it was this yellow bat with, and it had this uh at some point either me or my brother had put this like plastic straw in there so it made a very distinct sound when it was swung like a rattling sound and uh so for my dad it was always get the bat and that was like <gasps> like oh god um and so we would go get the bat and then later on like long after he uh uh the the last time he uh spanked me um and i think he stopped because that was the the last time he spanked me was the time that i was about to hit him back um but he uh, i asked him later on like why a bat why a wiffle bat like what the fuck um and he said it was because my grandpa his dad used to use switches and belts and just kind of anything that he had to hand so and sometimes it would leave marks like he would end up with bruises and stuff so he said when he became a parent uh he still believed in spanking he still believed that that was the way to go because you know kid does something bad pain will if they associate pain with that action then they'll stop doing that thing um so he was still speaking his dad's language but he incrementally changed it to a wiffle bat because he's like i made a rule for myself i will only ever use i will only ever use this wiffle bat because no matter how mad i am if the bat's not there i can't do it and no matter how mad i am a wiffle bat is never going to actually do like it'll hurt but it won't ever actually do damage yeah there's trees and, now, and belts everywhere what's that so there's trees and belts everywhere yeah or extension yeah. cords i mean if you're an improvising spanker you're going to improvise oh yeah yeah, yeah, I'm sure my I'm sure my grandpa used to use an extension cord or two. Um but that was just a rule he made. Like so that was like an example of an incremental yeah. change and now I don't do that at all. I think so. my little sister might spank but or use it as a scare tactic to before she has to spank. If that makes sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because it got to the point where I could just look at my mom and I run, <laughs> because I could see I knew the face that yeah. she'd make. Mm -hmm. Like oh, but I would mean like that's that's what I was the good one. What happened? Quote unquote. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, I mean, nobody can spank me now. Don't make the joke, Fabian. Don't make it. I can see it in your eyes. I'm not. I don't have to. <laughs> shut, shut up. Shut uh, up. When I, was, uh, when I was a kid. Um, yeah, like my, Fabian, my, tell us about how you were hit. Well, like <laughs> One interesting thing to me was like my grandpa, grandfather was, was really the one that would do the spanking. Because my parents divorced when I was like six. And my grandfather would have us go pick our own switch. My grandmother, too, I can remember her voice saying, well, we go pick our own switch. And it was that whole, I've heard comedians talk about this. Or if you pick one that's too small... They say, I'm going to wear it out on you. Don't pick one too small or I'll wear it out on you. And then you'll have to get another one. So you're like, as a kid, like looking at this bush, trying like, okay, what's the most appropriate? Like you're hedging your bets. You're like, don't want to get too big, but I don't want to go too small. And you're like trying to decode your fate here 
in the best possible outcome, but making sure it's still a bad enough outcome. And then, like, as you're crying, because you're getting spanked, like, I remember my grandfather would say, don't cry, or I'll give you something to cry about. It's really not till now that I'm, I'm telling this. Is part. that not what you're doing? Right, right. It's not now <laughs> that I'm telling this story at this point in my life with a lot of the thoughts I've had over the last year that I'm realizing, oh, he didn't invent that. That's what he was told. Wow. I didn't realize that uh, switches were used by so many families. Or so I wonder what they, our parents, uh, what prompted them to start using or switches? Go pick a switch. I think it's a very old practice. Like the mm-hmm. um, Bible says, spare well, the rod, spoil the child. Well, their parents of chain and, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no. The, yeah, like it's, I think uh, it might be a myth, but you know the rule of thumb thing? Uh, the rule of thumb is, and I learned this from Boondog Saints, uh, so take it with a grain of salt. So you got like, to say it oh, in that oh, accent. Oh. You don't, you don't, you don't. Um, <laughs> no, no. Uh, uh, a man is allowed to beat his wife as long as he doesn't use a stick any thicker than the width of his thumb. Uh, that's the rule of thumb. So, like, that's been around for. Is that where we Ever. get that from? The rule of thumb? Yeah. Uh-huh. For so, real? Or at least in... Boondock. Well, I don't know about if it's for real. Like oh, I said, I saw it on Boondock Saints. So it's so confusing so. that women want men with big hands. I don't understand it. What's going on? Dude, there? I look at man's yeah, hands I'm first. Looking at my, I'm looking at my hands uh, like, yeah, soft I, hands. I'd be prime marriage material. <laughs> <laughs> my hands aren't small. My head is just huge. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Right, so I, had a, I, had I don't a, look good in hats. Oh, um, do we have more questions about the school thing? Like, yeah, I've got. Sorry, we so, kinda, yeah, I got. That's all good. Um, well, can I give this definition first? Please. Rule of thumb: a broadly accurate guide on principle based on experience or practice rather than theory. A use. Uh, I mean, I don't. Does that make sense? I mean, Wait. that's the definition, but Those like, words. we're looking for oh. the, the etymology. Yeah, the etymology. Uh, oh. A rough and useful principle or method based on experience rather than precisely accurate measures. Okay. Now we know what fascism and rule of thumb. Motherfucker. Like, um, but questions about the school. Um So it sounds like you have a Sisyphean task. Like you've seen failures too, yeah. right? Of course, yeah. Uh, what happens to the, like, what's a success story? Like, how do, what's the pathway to a successful uh, story for these kids? What's an example of a, a failed? Um, so they have, um, so they're, they're going to therapy multiple times a day. That's why they're residential. So they can do that. Um, and we have a level system. So they start at level one. They're hoping to get to level four. If they can leave at a three or a four, it's considered a successful discharge. So the idea is that they've learned how to cope with their anger. They've learned how to cope with their sexual urges and, you know, um, use them in the correct, appropriate way. Um, they've learned about consent, um, they've learned all of those things we need them to know. 
Um, and then they can go you, wherever. How, how do you gauge what level they're at? Um, so the therapists who have those conversations with them about those, you know, in way more detail than I ever do. Um, they will work on them. They have these books of level work. So they have to complete all this work and it's stuff about consent and, um, you know, accurate names, parts of the body, all those kinds of things that they probably haven't learned before. Um, so they, they read, they go through all those, they do all this, like, you know, like a workbook. Um, and then they'll, at the same time, they'll be talking to their therapist every couple of days, um, doing, you know, group therapies and family therapies and all these other therapies. Um, and then when they've done all the work and they're acting in an appropriate manner and handling all of their urges and whatever's going on appropriately, then they will get a petition. And the petition has to be signed by two teachers, two nurses, I think like four staff members, that's the, the aides, the ones that are with them all the time. Um, and I think a couple other people has to be signed by them saying like, I think that this person acts at this level and has done the work to get to the next level. Um, and then they stand up and this is, I mean, when you think about like a 12 year old doing all this, it's a lot. Um, then they stand up in front of their group at group therapy no, sorry, at community therapy, which is the whole unit that they live with. So the kids that they live with every day, they stand up in front of all the other kids. They talk about their petition. They talk about their goals. They talk about how they think they've met these goals. And they ask the kids if the kids support them, their community members. And the community members can say, I don't support you because last week you did this and it was inappropriate. Oh, so they're... A, a jury of like, their peers have yeah. a chance to be like, uh-uh, you fucking yeah. faker. Yeah, and there's a there's a therapist there during this, but it's all the other kids that they live with. And so when you can imagine a 12-year-old standing up and saying, I, I've worked through my consent workbook, and I have learned about this, and I've learned about this, what do you think to all the other 12 and 13-year-olds? And they can stand up and say, no, because you got in a fight you were inappropriate with someone last week and stuff like that. Like that's a mm. lot of pressure. That's hard. Yeah. Um, and if they do that and they get it approved by the community, so the community has to vote, the community has to vote you in and you have to get the petition signed by enough people. And that's all after the therapist says, yes, I think you can do it. I think you've moved on to the next level. Um, and after all that, then they will meet with their therapist again and the therapist will be decide if they get the level. Um, and they have to get up to three or four too. So they have to do that at least twice to, to, uh, leave successfully. But I will say 70 or 80% of our kids leave successfully. So most okay. of them do that. Yeah. That's awesome. That's yeah. incredible. And then, yeah. And <laughs> kind of surprising. Yeah. I love, <laughs> I love that is. process. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of, they're taking a lot of their responsibility for themselves onto their shoulders, which is what they need to do. They need to realize that they're the ones in charge of themselves. They're the ones, you know, making their choices. How long, how long do you have these kids to get to that point? It depends. Um, I would say like five or six months is a pretty fast one. Um, okay. Usually it's more like seven or eight, but we can have them a year plus sometimes. And then sometimes we have them, because um, we get a lot that are in DHS custody and stuff like that. 
So mm -hmm. sometimes we'll get them and they will work the program, but then there's nowhere for them to go. So they're just still with us. And we've had, we had one that did that and then stayed with us for another like five months. And you could tell by the end of that, he was just so frustrated. He's like, I've done this. Why am I still here? Because Why am I still here in this love. program? He's not, he's not benefiting from the therapy because he's already done it all. So he's just hanging out there. And it's one thing if you do that for a week or two, but when you're talking about like five months, Right, because he didn't have a, a safe home to go back didn't to. Didn't have a home or... to go to, yeah. And they were, they were, there was no, there were no foster homes. He couldn't go home. Um, we have a um, like a halfway house group home, um, but if you're not from Arkansas, you can't go there because of some legal thing. I don't understand. Um, and he was a Texas kid, so he couldn't do that. I can so. see where that cycle, given enough time, flips back around from yay. I completed the, mm -hmm. the, the mission, I'm a good person again, back to why am I still in the place for problem people? I must be bad. Right. Oh, and just, man. Yeah. Did that, did that happen? Was there a risk of that happening with that kid? Yeah. Or? Yeah. And he definitely got, like, um, from knowing him from my class and stuff, he got real frustrated with it. Um, and they did eventually find a place for him. I think it was a halfway home, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. But yeah, good. Rough. Yeah, I think I remember you you talking about. I that. may have because it was really like yeah. I mean I was frustrated by the end of it. Is like Texas, get on it and find a place for this kid. That's your job. Like it's right. one thing if it takes you a couple weeks. Five months is ridiculous. Yeah. Have you ever seen the same kid multiple times? Like they, they have they ever left successfully and then they end up right back? Um. It, it has happened. It's very unusual. Um, and usually what happened is they went to a, a different sort of facility and then eventually kind of fell, fell off the truck or whatever they would call it and started doing behaviors again. Um, okay. Sometimes I feel like they're swapped from facility to facility because there's no place to send them. Because we have, I think we have in Arkansas, just in Arkansas, I think we have like three times the amount of foster kids as we do foster home placements. Um, so they'll circle through the system again and again. And right. sometimes, you know, and sometimes they're happy to come back. They would, well, I say that I've seen, I've seen it happen once. So it's not, <laughs> <laughs> but I think that sometimes they're happy to stay because they've gotten comfortable there. They know people care about them and we'll take care of them. So it's like, I'd rather do this than go someplace where I don't know what's going to happen. So, so I don't it's not a, to, just just hang out here. <laughs> cool. So if anybody's think seeing it as like a one flew over the cuckoo's nest type of oppressive environment, it's it's not that. Like yeah. it's not. Well, okay. I mean, you know, usually the kids' background will <laughs> highly um, highly influence whether they see it as oppressive or not. I have had kids that think it's the worst thing ever. And, you know, back home, they can do whatever they want to. They can stay up all late, all night. They can leave whenever they want to. They can go hang out with their friends. They can play video games. Oh, all I have rules now. School. Huh? Yeah. Oh, I have rules now. What the yeah, fuck? Exactly. Yeah. Um, but then I've also seen kids, like one time we had um, the the head chef, shed head chef was coming to classrooms and talking to students about just their opinions on the food and what kind of things would they like to see, that kind of thing. And a little girl little she was like 13 but she was sitting by my desk and she leaned over to me and she said i don't see why anyone would have a problem with the food they give us food every day that was wow. enough to make it this is a great place to be they give me food every day 
It's like, okay. That, and for her, that like that was, it's one of those things that we take for granted. Yeah. Because yeah. uh, we just don't have that frame of reference. Guys, that, we're in here big balling, eating every day. Yeah. Oh, inside. I get three meals a day. And there's for, you know, for lunch and dinner, there's a little dessert. And man, how could you have any complaints? Yeah, like you you hear about uh, school lunch programs or schools like, oh, during COVID, they started uh, saying like, look, uh, schools are shut down. We're doing remote learning and all that good stuff. Uh, You can still get at least one meal, like you can still come get lunch mm-hmm. uh, from the school and just people talking about like how sometimes that's the only meal these kids get It is, yeah. a day. I have, I have like, I can intellectual in intellectualize that I can realize, realize like, Oh yeah, that's something some people probably have to deal with, but I've never experienced it myself and I, I've never seen it myself. Yeah. So, so it's hard to really internalize that yeah, during the, but pan- that kind of did it for me. During the pandemic era, when it was all homeschool, online learning, I would always get these emails and text messages about the schools, school lunches that were prepared for pickup. That you could go to the school, and they still had lunches for all the kids that were on a list. You just send in, "Hey, I need, I need a lunch for my kid," just like they would get at school. And I was kind of like, "Man, is, are people really going out of the way to pick these up?" Yeah, that's why I get the message every day because there are people that have uh what is that food necessity food insecurity food insecurity man and like you corman i'm very lucky i have not had to go through that like i know my mom struggled when we were real little we weren't even aware of it like she pulled things together she she also was lucky enough that it never was a an issue like i have no memories of experiencing anything like that so but other people have yeah. And so when we when we talk about privilege, that's what we mean. Yeah. Because like we like we we didn't even realize we were this privileged. Right. And this little girl is like, no, this place is great because they give me food. They give me food every day. We I never have to worry about getting a meal. And that's wow. enough. I had that's, a kid um thank you. years and years ago. So I think it's okay. But um I had a kid and in his cause we get like a chart, you know, they have a medical chart. Um and he was adopted, but when he first got to the adopted house uh, with adoptive parents, he would cry and scream every time a packet of food went empty because he did not think there would be another one coming. It took him a while to learn that there would always be another packet of food. And he didn't wow. need to freak out. Yeah. No pun. Sorry, I just got. I, I but I have to. I have to digest that for a second. I <laughs> know. Yeah. Unfortunately, my, oh. mind, my mind immediately went to this video I saw the other day of a dog that um, he had, the caption said when he was younger, he ran through a glass window by accident. And this is like a German Shepherd type dog. And as he's in the house, it's showing him w- go to walk through a doorway. And he like looks at it, he kind of <laughs> twists, and he turns around backwards and backs his rear end through it first because he never got over that trauma. Wow. And like... Yeah. We do the same thing, man. Uh, there was, I've heard of people that like scarf their food so fast, and mm-hmm. it's because they grew up in households where like somebody might take your food from you. Like mm-hmm. it's a thing that stands out to people that also maybe had similar traumatic upbringings. Like, oh, I see, they pick up on those little things. Mm-hmm. 
like Morgan was saying earlier, like she, like she didn't want to draw a connection between these kids and dogs, which is understandable. But we are we are still animals. Like mm-hmm. we have those same we have the same needs. We have the same uh, a lot of the same necessities. So sometimes, especially when those necessities are threatened, we probably act the same way. So it's not it's not a bad thing to be like no like this is you can kind of draw a connection between just animal behavior and human behavior because humans are animals. Well, we we use the Pavlovian term all the time to describe humans, and it comes from his experiments with dogs. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So. Right. Right. To lighten the mood a little bit, I used to have a cat that did that, tried to go through a glass door, and then for the rest of his life he'd pat on the pat to see if there was glass. In the space, like, hold on. Pat on the space before he'd go through a door. Smart. <laughs> <was> very cute. <laughs> He does his little. He does a little mime impression. <laughs> Pretty to... much, yeah. He was like in the box. <laughs> Let me see if there was a door. No, okay. <laughs> I wonder if that's why Margie hides all of her snacks. Oh. She was a. When I got her, she was a, eight weeks old, three pounds, and the next day she had to go to the emergency vet. But, um, I don't know. She, she saves her food. She's very resource guards her food too. Like if. My two cats come walk by the food. She runs up to the food and doesn't eat it, but makes sure that they don't. Yeah. Like, do you have any kids like that 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 kind of smuggle stuff into their like that act out in those ways because they've been kind of trained to? Yeah, we have that kind of stuff. We have there's lots of weird food behaviors, which probably does come from being from different forms of food insecurity. I would assume, but we get um. We get, we get hoarding of food, like, so they get snacks throughout the day. Um, they get one between breakfast and lunch, one between lunch and dinner. Um, and I think two before lunch and dinner, maybe one after dinner. But anyway, <laughs> they get a couple snacks throughout the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and they will, they're supposed to eat them, imme- uh, we say immediately, but you know, within a reasonable amount of time. They're supposed to eat them when they get them. Um, some of them will hoard, hoard them. Um, some of them will try to trade them with others, which we have to be careful. It sounds nice, but we have to be careful because that could be grooming behaviors. Um, oh, right. Wow. Right. Mm-hmm. Trade, yeah, I'll trade you my. All the time. Yeah. I'll trade you some Fritos for favors. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. Um, we have some that comes late, which sometimes it does because we're human, and sometimes people are running 15 minutes late. Um, they'll go straight to the trash can because they're hungry. And it's like, no, it's it's still coming. It's just a couple minutes late. It's it's gonna be fine. You're still gonna get you, your. You do not have to dig in the trash. You yeah, don't you have to. Do dump not have to dig in the trash. And also, they still got lunch like two hours ago. You know, they're fine. But it's just that right. I think it's hardwired in there somehow. I I need to go look in the trash then. Um, we get all kinds of stuff like that. We get them like hoarding things under the bed. Weird things too. I get kids because I run. I teach English language arts, and I run the library. And we get kids that hoard books, but don't read books. And it's what I haven't quite figured out. Like, I understand if you really love books and you want to read them, why you would want to have extras in your room. Because you're only supposed to have one from my library at a time. Um, and, you know, I don't freak out if that overlaps a little bit. But some of them will definitely purposely steal four or five at a time and hoard them, like, under the mattress. And then the therapist will go in there and flip the mattress up and there's 20 books. And they'll come back to me. Um, this is a regular one kid particular regular every couple of weeks this happens. 
Um, but he doesn't read most of them. And that's the part that I don't quite understand is if you don't want to read them, why are we hoarding the books? <laughs> I feel attacked. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do have. Uh, I'm looking, looking back at my. <laughs> I do have a lot of footage over there. So. I'm actually I do sad. understand. I'm sad, Corwin, that we're not going to use the footage of this because the way your camera like focused yeah. from <laughs> you to the background. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. It's very cinematic. That was beautiful. Yes. <laughs> you have a very good setup. It, it seems like a movie backdrop, the way it, it blends out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I, I, I went whole hog. Uh, I don't have a, I don't have a, an integrated camera. So I was like, if I had an integrated camera, I never would have bothered to figure to do all this stuff. But because I don't, uh, barriers, foster innovation so i've got like yeah. a, a camera set up on a, i got a light you I look and sound the best out of all of us light back there i don't know about sound the best but like you you guys have great microphones but anyway like that's that's just about the the show um and we've been recording for about an hour and a half i think this has been really great and i i hope that we can have tessa on again yeah sure. uh because like we've mostly talked about like what kind of facility this is um, and the psychological aspects and stuff. But there's a, there's a lot of really interesting stuff uh, about your, your job as an educator and the disparity, the disparity uh, of knowledge that these kids have Mm -hmm. or don't have. Yeah. Uh, Because a lot of the time, by the time they get to you, they, they've not been receiving an education they've missed everything so far is pretty much what happens often man i'm actually glad we didn't even crack the seal on that because i didn't even think about it till you just said it and now i'm very excited for the next go around this is (laughs) awesome i love that stuff like we we definitely need to to do another show with tessa just talking about that because some of the there needs to be more of these like uh uh schools or you know yeah instead of yeah there needs to be more in arkansas let alone the country yeah because you know poverty and crime begets poverty and crime Mm -hmm. so like tessa and all of her co-workers and all the aides and everybody involved they are they're they're saddled with the sisyphean task to break the cycle and there, how many students did you say you get like every year? Uh, oh, well, every year, I every year probably have 150 at one point or another throughout the year. So, so you can make an attempt to break the cycle for 150 kids out of how many that could probably benefit from mm-hmm. what you do. Yeah. So it's not nothing. Like you know, there's the the whole uh, the proverb about the guy who's like walking the beach and uh picking up starfish that are are beached and he's throwing them back into the ocean and somebody else is and there's thousands of starfish and somebody says why do you bother like what's it matter uh if you save like little individual starfish and the guy just picks up another starfish throws it back in the ocean and says it mattered to that one so Mm -hmm. that's kind of it's kind of what you're doing like it's this it's this never-ending work that is doing good, but there's just not enough of you. Yeah. And it's admirable as fuck. 
I know that I, I know that I could not fucking I couldn't do this. Uh, a couple like I I would I would nope out within the first couple of years <laughs> of sleepless nights and depressing nope. stories. Nope. Um, yeah. So it's it. Thank you for doing for thank you for doing that and but being it, a positive force in the universe. Yeah, and that's amazing. That's that's applause. Oh, I thought that, that was, was static. Good. I know oh. it's too loud. I was like, damn, it sounds like rain or something. <laughs> the look on Corbin's face was perfect. <laughs> no, that that look was like, oh god, I've I've touched something. <laughs> what have I done? The cords, man. <laughs> the cords of. So. Um, yeah, and I, I people say that to me a lot. Um, but I will oh, tell no, you, fuck, why did I bother? <laughs> yeah, uh, even with everything one. that I do, most of the time I feel like I'm just hanging out with a bunch of kids talking about books. You know, that's the majority of my day. It's I'm hanging out with some kids. We're talking about this. They're kind of weird, but most kids are. <laughs> so, you know. I enjoy it most of the time. Every adult I've met so far is pretty weird. Yeah, for sure. Without fail. For sure. They may hide hide it at first, but get to know them. It gets weird. (laughs) It's in there somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, did did anybody else have any... any I'll have more questions next time. Comments or questions or... Not today. (laughs) When are we going to do this again? When are oh. we going to do this again? Uh, well, actually, next week, I'll be visiting my mom in South Arkansas. I'm out of town too. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and then the next week is my birthday week. Mm-hmm. We have Ooh, to do our um, nice. stand-up thing. So. Yeah, we got to all get a right oh, stand-up acts. Apparently, Fabian's already working on it. I keep it, forgetting so. this. Yeah. Oh, I don't blame you, Corin. <laughs> That's um, how us ADD people do. <laughs> I've been telling everybody because we're gonna have an audience. So, oh god, we're gonna have an audience. Yes, and they're gonna be the judges. Oh, it's gonna be live. Oh god, live! you just made this way more real. <laughs> it's always been real cool. Okay, I, I <laughs> since know since the very first podcast <laughs> ever that you did. Just remember two things: you'll never get good unless you do it for real, and. First time's always going to be terrible. It's going to be a minute. <laughs> so it's going to be okay. real terrible. One minute. <laughs> the longest minute. One, just one minute. I thought. It, that's I always thought, okay. Yeah, you get a minute to okay to, to make people laugh. You know what? Um, right. What's it called? What's it called? Uh, nomads. I think they do three minutes or five minutes, something like that. Oh Maybe no, one minutes. minute is good. I was going <laughs> yeah. off Kill Tony. Oh, you're right. Yeah, one minute. They do one minute on Kill Tony. Yeah. Because I'm sure okay. if I'm trying to be funny for one minute and I get into the minute, I'm like, fuck, we're only 28 seconds in. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I've already vomited all over myself. What else do you want <laughs> from me? Do? That would be hilarious. So keep uh, it. Right? Right. But it only lasts Write about that down. seconds. <laughs> if you vomit for 28 seconds, I'm going to be laughing for 32. <laughs> Easily. I'm going to need a lot more of these. <laughs> It's gonna come out real, real oddly colored. <laughs> You're gonna think I've got cancer. <laughs> so we could, re- we could, if we wanted to. Um, that was sorry, I didn't mean to talk through that. No, no. Uh, not 
if we're not recording when you're away, did we want to do one before so we can post it or not just skip a week? I've actually been trying to think of different ways to do that. Like I thought maybe if we do one on the phone or if we each recorded like a 10 minute thing by ourselves and pasted it together and made like a weird like triptych. This is what I'm doing while Fabian is gone. Yeah. Um, or if we each sat and did like a phone interview with a person that's only 10 minutes long, like, um, I sit with my mom and we're to interview her for 10 minutes and then you do somebody and then Corin do somebody. Mm. And then we, we go, remember that we used to do someone that had a channel change sound and we did the oh. channel change yeah. through them. Um, I thought about yeah, that. My battery died. So, mm-hmm. uh, so I don't know, but those are That'd options. Cool. Just little ideas. Yeah. Okay. That sounds fun. Actually. Cool. All right. All right. All right. Well. Thanks for being with us here today, Tessa. Yeah, this was uh, fun. No problem. And fun. What's the word? Educational. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> very. That's what I do. That's what I do. Yep. <laughs> you lived up to the hype. <laughs> and now you guys can't see my ridiculous dance to Fabian's incredible music.